Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SSE Forum podcast called The Edge. Today, we're very happy to welcome Ms., uh, back Mr. Dr. Chase Cunningham, uh, also known as Dr. Zero Trust. Um, we had him on our show recently. I say recently. It was probably about five months ago now. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, he was on our Breaking Down Zero Trust podcast. Um, so I'm not going to ask the normal question that I ask everyone who comes on the show about history and how they got started. Chase has already answered those questions. So go and look, uh, go and look at Breaking Down Zero Trust episode two. Uh, I thought it was really, really interesting because uh, you kind of grabbed over the laptop you probably shouldn't have had and did some stuff you shouldn't have had, and it kind of led you to where you are today. Um, but for more information, go and go and listen to that podcast. Um, but Chase, I guess one of the topics that's all over the place at the moment, all in the press, on LinkedIn, on social media, is zero trust. And that's kind of why we originally spoke to you before. But I'd be really interested to know how things have changed in that five months. Where have you seen the industry go? I think it's slightly different over here in the UK, but I'd really be interested in knowing kind of what's happening out there in the US with Zero Trust. Yeah, it's, uh, well, number one, thanks for having me back. And number two, it's great to chat with you guys again. But I, I, I hate to break it to people, but if you're sick and tired of hearing about Zero Trust, brother, it ain't going to get better for you. I mean, we're, it's, it's a freight train rolling down the place. And it's, it's happening because there's actually value to the buzz. I mean, I think this is, you know, having worked at Forrester and a bunch of other places, this is one of the first times I've seen where a, a buzz term continues to provide value rather than just buzz and kind of goes away, right? So I think there's a reality there. The federal government finally published their uh, zero trust strategy back right before Thanksgiving here in the U.S. And in the U.S., that hit the market like a nuclear bomb. I mean, it uh, it finally said, here's what we're going to do. The value proposition is there. They used the framework that I was helpful in creating, and it, it gravitated the the market to like, look, if the giant battleship that is the DOD can align budget and resources and plan for a long-term transition and move to this space, then everybody else can. And it, it it's great because you have uh, a North Star to kind of subscribe to. And and what people were getting out of that was that the, the government who typically sucks at being fast and staying ahead of the problem, I mean, let's just be real about it, was saying... We understand we have to do business differently. And if we don't, we're continuing to rinse and repeat failure. And the moment that they did that and they said it in a document, which means they put money and resources just to get to that point, it really pushed things forward. All of a sudden, I started having calls with people. I did a ZT workshop with folks in Kenya. Um, I started doing ZT workshops with folks in Australia, India. I'm actually going to Bogota, Colombia next week to do ZT work. So it's uh, it's really pushing globally, and I I'm super thrilled to see that because I, I'm a believer. I mean that's that's the thing, right? I I could give a damn honestly about the technology side of it. If this is uh, technology, will enable the strategy, and I'm I'm a believer. So I'm, I'm glad to see that there's some value being shared globally with this. So I got a question. Um, a lot of IT and security folks, you know, people on. On this, on that side of the fence, get it. They understand the value of zero trust. Um, but we are in a, a situation where there's some economic headwinds. Uh, and if you're a CXO, how do you how do you get them to get on board with this uh, zero trust freight train? Um, you've you've obviously been in front of them. What have you What have you told them to kind of convince them that this is the way forward? 
Well, the 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 fact that we're heading into a recession, I mean, nobody else wants to say that word because it's like calling down the thunder, but we're coming to a recession. I hate to, you know, the, the literal definition says we are. So that's is what it is. And the moment you start talking to people about business terms, um, the blank check days for cybersecurity, those are over. So really what I talk to them about is where can you optimize and what things are going to be needed for you to execute that will enable the business and security if you, even if you look at the data, is the one place that folks agree is not going to be cut. It's going to be reduced. It's going to be optimized, but they're not going to do what they're doing in other uh, sectors of the market, right? Like they're not going to go off and lay off 10%, 15% of a sales force, that type of deal. They can't do that because in security, um, you'll lose. You So you have to optimize. You have to align strategically. And ultimately, this is another, uh, just like COVID was, this is another crisis-tunity, if you will, to uh, really get things right and use the resources that you're going to have to get better. <clears throat> I think this is a great place, too, for the MSSPs and those folks to really ramp up and grow because uh, not everybody can do security, um, you know, and they shouldn't. So do it with an MSP, MSSP, uh, outsource. Yeah, I, I love the term. I love the term crisis-tunity. <laughs> that's a great one it's funny actually i mean before we started recording i i told you both that i made a mistake yesterday and drank coffee at six o'clock at night or seven o'clock at night and and was therefore awake until 2 a.m but funnily enough i tried to utilize that time by by writing a blog or at least starting writing a blog or an article and it was all about we see these predictions out there that are in in the in the news and in the press and on social media and everybody's writing them. So I thought I'd jump on the bandwagon and write an article. Um, but actually my article was, was what I predicts happening, but also maybe what folks can do about it. So, so my predictions, I won't ruin the article, but I, I talked a little bit about this being an opportunity. And actually when I put pen to paper, it made me feel a little bit bad. It made me, cause money's being cut. People are losing their jobs. The world's going into recession. Everything's getting more expensive. Life in general is becoming more like more difficult and more expensive. But for me, if I put my corporate head back on, put that hat on and, and, and go back to a year ago before I started where I am today, I would need to see it as an opportunity. We are going to have to deal with this situation. Ransomware, which we'll get to in a minute, is on the rise. Cyber threats are on the rise. Everybody's talking about it. It's not a secret. And you just said something before about zero trust. Now, I see so many buzzwords in the industry. We've all been in the industry long enough to hear these buzzwords come along. And a lot of them come along. They last for a certain period of time and they fade away. And don't get me wrong. For a while, zero trust came along and faded away. But yeah. it's back again. And I wrote in, in the article, this is a buzzword I think has got teeth. I actually think it does what it says on the tin. If we fundamentally look at the way we've done things for the past 25, 30 years, they don't work. We have continue, continually made the same mistakes. And I talk, I'm sure I talked to you about it on the last podcast we did. I've talked about it on other podcasts. I've written it down. I made that problem worse. I spent 25 plus years of my career creating global networks joined by MPLS or SD-WAN everywhere. Uh, everyone could go everywhere, including the attackers. And when I sit back down in my chair today, I'm like, what was I doing? Why did I not think I could do this any differently? And I tried over time to do things differently. 
I did start to think about connecting users just to applications. We looked at ACLs. We looked at VLANs, segmenting your network, taking people off, putting guest networks in, putting networks in for mobile phones or for laptops or traveling users. But for me, zero trust is a mechanism to do that in an easier way with less risks of humans making mistakes. We all make mistakes. I've made loads. Um, I've taken networks down. I'm sure we've all done stuff we 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 probably look back and laugh on now. Um, but I mean, that, I guess for, for me, that ZT is, it's now starting to be everywhere. We're having these conversations. I like talking to you. We've spoken to John Kinderval. We speak to Jim. The CSA are doing a lot of stuff for Zero Trust. It's really starting to get a foothold. And you just repeated what you pretty much said on the, on the call we on the podcast we did before that the government came along and mandated it. We are now seeing that roll down over here in the UK. There are, mm-hmm. are, are companies over here in the UK that make military type systems. They obviously sell into US military or aerospace or whatever. It's having that that knock on effect. Where do you think we will be in the in the next year or eighteen months with zero trust? Well, that's why I, I I wrote that kind of my first piece on 2023, and I uh, I was pretty brash with it for a very good reason. I wanted folks to understand that the the nature of ZT, right? Let's just say, let's not even talk about ZT. Let's talk about the strategy that you have to have in a space that is an active combat environment where everyone is engaged. I I, I like to think of it as the Serengeti, right? Because that's not quite as scary. Um, you're, you have two options in this space. You're either predator or you're prey. Uh, and you, this is interesting, too, because you can choose which one you want to be. Uh, normally, that doesn't work, right? A lion does not get to choose to be a gazelle and vice versa. However, in this space, you can be. And I was trying to get the point across to folks, like, if you're one of the organizations that chooses to continue to be a sick, slow gazelle, I'm fine with that. Get eaten alive. That's not going to make me lose sleep. It sucks for you. But ultimately, what does that do? It slows down the lions at the back of the pack so that I can continue to be successful. So this is a, a critical time that people need to understand. You ha- you, the, we've jumped the shark. It's time to quit and uh, griping about it and moaning and, and uh, thought leadershiping and whatever else. You either choose now, especially with the crisis of this recession coming, to do things differently, and maybe the outcomes, statistically speaking, numerically speaking, research says will be better, or you are seriously choosing to take the risk of being at the back of the herd, and that is not a place you want to be. I, I want to be a predator. Oh, I want to be at the front of the pack, and I want to be in a space where the bad guys are actually worried about me. I don't want to be worried about them anymore. Uh, there's there's a great book I was reading where the guy talks about the value of being a dangerous person. And it means that you choose to be good, but if things go sideways, brother, it can get nasty quick. And that's where you want to be. I love that idea of a, of a the Serengeti and, and a bit of a calling. I mean, I view, you know, let's call it a recession as an opportunity. If, if you are a smart executive and you're looking at... Uh, Here's my competition. This is what they're doing. They're investing in digital. Um, maybe I haven't done as much on security as I should have. This is a good time to double down and adopt a zero trust strategy and really put yourself in a great position to come out of this recession much stronger um, and allow your competition and your your analogy to be eaten. 
which is, I mean, hey, it sucks for them, right? If the zombie yep. horde is chasing us and you trip, <laughs> that ain't my problem. I mean, uh, it's it's not exactly the most uh, rosy, nice way to look at the world, but it's the truth. I mean, you're predator or prey. It's that simple. Well, sometimes you've got to you got to use the sledgehammer to get it across. I mean, unfortunately, people don't. I mean, people don't listen, uh, even though you've you know, um, even though you've got examples and, and proven it. To your 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 comment that you were making about like the the where we're going to go, you're going to see, and you already are, the organizations that have adapted to the realities and have enabled the strategy that makes sense. You don't see them in the news anymore. You don't see them dealing with the fallouts. You see them getting better business. Their insurance rates are better, whatever else, because of the fact that they're not dealing with the lions as much as that slow gazelle. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good one there, cyber insurance. Maybe maybe let's pivot to that a little bit oh, because Lord. we we um <laughs> we did a podcast recently um with a with a guy in the UK called Chris Denby White, and we talked quite a lot about cyber insurance because there's talk that companies aren't going to get insured because if something's an act of war then then insurance companies it's a, clause. Are going to, it's a yeah it's it's legalese yeah going to be kind of being able to wriggle out of it and, and i mean i'm going to talk a little bit badly about insurance companies i don't think anyone's going to disagree but if they can wriggle out of paying they'll wriggle out of paying um i'm i i am reading in the news and when i talk to people there's an awful lot of people out there that are using insurance as their plan a so, so they're kind of using insurance uh, instead of buying security tools, instead of looking out there and, and investigating and maybe doing some consolidation and, and shoring up their shores a little bit. They're like, oh, it doesn't matter. We've got insurance. Well, that doesn't work. I mean, I've got car insurance, but if I'm if I crash my car, I could still get very injured. And yes, I might get a new car, but that's not the approach you'd be taking. But I'd be, and I have saw an article, so I kind of know your opinion on on cyber insurance. But I'm going to ask you anyway. What what is your opinion on cyber insurance? Uh, well, citing the 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 chapter I wrote in a book recently, it's a ripoff. I mean, it is it's it's built like basically, uh, and it, it's not just saying that. Like, if you look at Maersk, if you look at Norsk Hydro, if you look at all these other major organizations that have had breaches that have occurred when the war clause and other legalese clauses have been invoked. They get out of paying. I mean, that that like you said, it's the same thing of if you're buying home insurance or car insurance or health insurance or whatever else. It's not like they're doing you a service. You've already paid for whatever they're going to give you repeatedly. They just act like they're doing you a favor. So in cyber, they don't even have the actuarial tables because it's such a dynamic space. It's so all over the place that they can say, I think this is what will be needed for your particular policy. Uh, and it. It's bonkers. Like I, I, I had a con. I have a contract with somebody, and I had to buy a million dollar cyber insurance policy for me for one guy. Do you know what they did to measure what my protection posture was? You want to guess? They sent me a piece of paper that asked me like seven questions, and then they said, "Here's the bill." Like that was it. <laughs> yeah. I does that sound like smart to anybody? Does any, I mean, logically, number one. And the funny thing was the contract required me to have a million dollar policy. So I was like, well, I'm one dude. Like what? Huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm hoping we get to a point where, and I think the CSA are working on something like this and we'll, we'll ask Jim and John when they come on, but we, we need a kind of a maturity test of, of zero trust. We need to be able to have, companies 
I don't mean necessarily answer a bunch of auditing questions. I'm not sure that's going to be the way, but there needs to be a way of testing a company's maturity against zero trust and ranking them in some way that they can then use towards attaining a certain policy level with insurance or at least in the dream they should world. run a red team op is what they ought to do if yeah. i was an insurance company i would say i'll issue a policy but for me to give it to you i'm going to run a real red team op because that's what zt is actually supposed to help you mitigate depending on how well you do in that red team op is what your policy will be there we go like i'm good yeah. and then people can that, look at those valid, results that's valid yeah that's valid it, i mean it, i remember these doing PCI audits and they'd bring in some college kid and the kid, the kid would go through a list of questions. You'd be asked about a firewall, whether you needed a firewall or not. He was grading you that you needed the firewall. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that's not what the bad guys do. The bad guys yeah. don't come in for a PCI audit. They come at you. And if you don't do well, they eat you alive because they're the lion and you're the gazelle. So test that and it's we have methodologies for this this is not new like there are solutions that are automating a lot of this it it's it's only good for the insurance companies that we continue to do business the old way yeah i mean i always look at the analogy of when you're plumbing a house i mean you, you plumb your house and before you seal all the walls up you turn the water on and you look for leaks right the last thing you want to do is plumb your house or plumb the street or plumb an office block or whatever it is seal everything up, paint, decorate, turn up on day one and turn the tap on. Shit, that's a bad way of doing it. I mean, you really, you should, I put policies in place when I, I worked in corporate land and I'm sure John did the same where you tested stuff before you went live and not only before you went live, but if you made a change, if you installed a patch, if you installed a firmware, if you made a change to the system, you tested it. You put you you ran a penetration test if if it if it was externally facing or even if it was internally facing. You tried to get to it from areas of the network where you shouldn't be able to get to it from. So in my mind, and I I've done it. We used to run red team in. We used to get people to come in, try and break in, try and hack us. Cases they got in, they they found open doors. Guess what you then do? You go and close those doors. So if an insurance company forces you to to look at open doors. You, they then say, I don't know, it's X amount to insure you because you've got 10 doors open. When you get down to six doors open, you can save 20%. When you get down to three doors open, it's cheaper. And when you get to no doors open, it's even cheaper. Why are, why are businesses not doing this? I mean, it's the same. Like you said, it's the same thing where if, if, if I'm a driver and I go get a policy and I've got three DUIs and seven wrecked vehicles and uh, I don't know, I lost an eye. You're going to look at me and be like, I'll give you a policy, but it ain't going to be cheap, man. Whereas if I'm someone that's driven for 35 years, I've never had a wreck. I've got no police record. I have a vehicle with all the safety control. I mean, duh. You know, it's not that crazy for the for the auto industry. It's not that crazy for cyber. We know we know what is going to make a difference. And this is also one of those spaces where everybody talks about cyber warfare. I wrote a book about it. This is the only space in warfare that I know of where the bad guy has a clearly defined historical metric and practice that they use. And everybody goes, well, how do we solve this problem? It, it's, it's clear. Like, it ain't hard. It's, they, they've told us what they're going to do for 20 years. And we're sitting around going, well, why does this continue to work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so funny enough, talk about the car analogy. We have an advanced driving test you can take in the UK. So you take your normal driving test. You can take it when you're 17. And then you can take this like advanced 
test that the police train you on. And if you take that advanced test, guess what? Your insurance gets cheaper because you've proven that you're better at doing it. Like you said, if you phone up your insurance company and go, yeah, I've crashed six cars in the last six months, <laughs> probably going to be expensive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, zero trust is clearly going to continue. I mean, it, it, it's it's everywhere. I, I It's a buzzword that I get behind. I think it's, I mean, it kind of ended up with me doing this and John doing this. It's kind of why we're talking to you today. Where do you... Dude, <laughs> I'm going to reiterate that question. Do you think we will ever get to the point where everyone's implemented it and the bad guys go away? Absolutely not. A thousand percent. And I mean, I, you know, the other thing that I that irritates the hell out of me, right, is you run into these things and people go, well, there's no such thing as zero trust. Correct. There's not. Because if if you get to zero, there's no relationships occurring. Just like if a bodybuilder gets to zero body fat, they die. Like that's that's it. But the goal is to get to the lowest manageable level. And in reality, this whole thing is not about, honestly, about a perfect defensive posture. It's about removing what the adversary needs to be successful. That's that's it. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to call it ZT because that buzzword makes you, you know, I don't know, rage in the in the mirror or something. Don't call it, you know, cyber tiddlywinks. It doesn't matter. It's the value proposition and the strategic initiative that has to occur. Yeah, I, I okay. So let's pivot to a slightly different topic that I've seen you post about <laughs> r- r- ransomware, right? Yeah. So we spoke to um, our Ocon recently on on a podcast. He deals with ransomware all the time, and I need to remember the number. And John might be able to correct me, but I'm sure he said something like eighty percent of the people he deals with just pay the ransom. Is that right? Does it sound yeah. right? That, that, that sounds correct. Yeah, I, and I was surprised. I, I was shocked when I heard that. That's and- a- Maybe because I haven't dealt with it, but uh, yeah, they they pay the ransom because they want, uh, they feel like, hey, the ransom is lower than the damage to the business. So that that kind of leads me to my question. I've seen or I've read that the US government are talking possibly about making paying the ransoms illegal. And I get the concept, right? If you stop paying people the ransoms, you're stopping giving them money. They're not going to get funded in theory they're not going to be able to send you ransoms. However, a lot of these ransoms are coming from government-based businesses that, that don't care if they get the money either. But I'd like to, to, to ask you, do, do you think the government will make it illegal? And if they do, what do you think that's going to mean for businesses? Uh, I hope that they don't make it illegal. Uh, I think that that's something that may actually occur because of the way that our you know kerfuffle of political stuff is working around here. But I'll, I'll say this on record because I do a lot of work on Capitol Hill and I've talked with a lot of those folks. Whichever congressperson or senator passes the law that says that it's illegal to pay a ransomware deal, that day I'm going to go talk to some people I know and put your stuff on a board just to see what happens to your org. And then we'll talk about whether or not you want to pay the ransom. So make sure that your stuff is in one sock because if you're going to do this to small businesses and nonprofits and people that need to be operational to feed their children to you know, do do their thing when they get hit with ransomware, by God, you would better make sure that you're ready to go because it's coming for you. Yeah, I mean, it's a really difficult topic to talk about because nobody wants to pay the ransom. I mean, they just don't. But equally, businesses move at a certain pace and these attackers are really well funded. It's not like it used to be 20 years ago. It's it's different now. They're, they're, 
There's large the drug cartels are engaged in this now. It's, they yeah, figured it's... out it makes more money than drugs and there's less risk. I mean, I also I read an article, and I don't know how, how true this is, but some I think it was a health provider got attacked and, and got held to ransom. And when they found out it was a health provider, they gave them the keys or something. Is yeah, that they did? It was sick kids in Canada that happened two weeks ago. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's like I said, c- companies are. Or at least some of them are trying to do their best to close the doors. I'm not going to say everybody. It's going to take time. People are going to need to understand what zero trust is. They're going to need to understand what that means for them. They're going to need to budget for. It. They're need to going to be going to need to make those changes. But well, it's not only many... that. It, it's 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 fundamentally a business project. That's where yeah, it's yeah. got to. That's where it's got to start. It, it can't start with the CISO saying, "Hey, we're going to zero trust." The rest of the organization doesn't even know what that is. CFO, I don't know what that is. Marketing, I don't know what that is. How do you explain it? How do you get them on board? I think that's the that's going to be the challenge. IT is an insecurity. I think they're they're moving in the direction, but it's it's yeah. the leadership that isn't attached to that that I think is going to be the challenge. So I mean, it's got cool. it's got to be it's got to be placed in business terms and become a business project. Yeah, security is still a cost center, and it's not a business enabler yet. There you but go. We're starting there to get go. there. Once we're a business enabler, and we're we've got people on board seats and that type of stuff now. Once we're a business enabler, all of a sudden things begin to pivot to a different space. Which, it, like you said, Jay, it's going to take time. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got another question for you. I mean, I I see on social media all the time. I see ransomware. I see these predictions. I see. People being attacked. I'm obviously following the likes of you and a lot of other people in the space. So I, I I know this is going on. I make the assumption that CIOs and CISOs and CEOs and CFOs and all those people at the top equally see it going on. But I actually don't know. Do, do you know if they're aware of it or is it just something that we within IT and security are talking about? Is it now and do you see it on boards? Are they approaching you and, and talking about it? Yeah, so funny enough, over the course of the last, say, year, maybe 15, 16 months, I've been doing a lot more talks with folks uh, on boards and that aren't in the cybersecurity space, which is great, right? And a lot of them are asking the question, usually it's, well, how do we find someone that can sit on the board that can talk security but not kind of nerd us to death? And that that's a careful thing that you've got to do. But the fact that they're asking that question to me is indicative of a change in mindset And what they're really trying to figure out is how do we sort of manage the risk that we know we're facing? Because they've they've seen the companies that have spent a half a billion dollars a year on security get owned and they're freaked out about it. And rightfully so. And on top of that, you got to think they've got the regulators on the other side of this that are coming to them and sort of asking, you know, what do we do about ransomware and how are you guys going to respond to this? And so it's there's a. Not a perfect storm, but there's a brewing storm going on at the very top levels of these companies to begin to push that. And then you've got folks that are um, in the news and headlines like Mudge and a lot of these other folks that are uh, pinnacles in the industry that are getting the the credibility that the rest of us kind of want, um, you know, to, to, to push that narrative further. But um, for us to continue to kind of just do chicken little and run around with your head cut off, they don't get that because... There's been plenty of companies that have been owned that are actually market tells you they do better after a breach. So there's a 
a razor's edge of opportunity to walk here and we either are going to get it right in the next few years or we're not and we're going to go backwards yeah i mean i'd be interested to know what you think the biggest threat is out there right now in the cyber community i mean we hear a lot about ransomware do you do you agree that ransomware is like the biggest issue or is there something else that you think people need to kind of think about Personally, I think ransomware is one of the most solvable issues. And if you look at it, there, I mean, I play the numbers. So if you look at the numbers on what actually causes ransomware infections, it's someone gets fished, right? And then some application does something that it wasn't meant to do. And that's how they invoke whatever they needed. If you're on a machine right now, listen to this, and you're a Windows person, go type in PowerShell. If PowerShell works for you and you're not an admin, you're at risk of a ransomware infection. Like, so... The ability for you to organizationally exponentially reduce that risk, it's relatively simple. And this is also why uh, I have such an issue with the the cyber training pipeline that's out there, because it's not making a, a difference. Is it necessary? Yes. Is it helping to educate people? Yes. But is a is a is training a technical control to a technical problem? Absolutely not. So there's you know those are solvable issues that we should put out in. To your question, in my opinion, the biggest problem we have here is uh, market skew and apathy among people because we've been just beat to death with cyber for, for too long. Yeah, I think the market skews are really interesting when we could almost do a whole, a whole podcast on that. But one of the things that we talked about when we spoke to you last, and we spoke to a number of people about it, is cyber is no longer something you just need to train your IT team or as your security team or even people in a business. We we need to start considering children at a very young age. And I'm pretty sure you talked about your your son having MFA to, to play his games. Um so it, it's it's starting, but I mean it wasn't that long ago that nobody had a computer outside of using it for their job. But now technology's everywhere. Everyone's got everything's connected to the internet. I mean all your TVs your, your computers, your your ovens. We've even got fridges that can order food for you. Everybody's using things like Uber or equivalents. You order your food on your phone. You you look at everything on your phone. Your whole kind of well-being is, is focused around technology. I mean, every time I go anywhere, I, I use Google Maps or equivalent on my phone. I look up restaurants, times on my phone, menus on my phone, where I should visit on my phone everyone's doing it but no one in not no one but there's a very large number of people outside of people like us that are working in the industry that understand the risks it wasn't that long ago a lot of my friends didn't even lock their phones i mean you could literally pick up their phone and just use it and i'm like you've got apple pay or android pay on your phone and you've just left it on the toilet on the on the table as you've gone off to the toilet in a bar Somebody picks that up, empties your bank account. So for me, training at a young age is, is pretty critical. And I also agree that it's not something that I ever learned about at school. I mean, we barely learned about computers when I was at school. They were quite very quite new, and we've talked about that before. Do you see any change in the U.S. where this is becoming something that is in the education system it is something that rather than children just picking it up because they've heard about stuff or is the schooling or whatever you call it over there 
concentrating on these possible risks because if we don't do it in 10 years time we're, we're not going to be any better off so i think yeah in big broad terms i mean i think any progress in the space is is good progress so i'm 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 glad to see that people are starting to do some things like you talked about locking their phone and whatever so it's a glacial shift but i think a shift is is good no matter what i i would say that i think one thing that we uh, as the cyber geeks don't really get is we can solve technical problems at scale, right? If there's a database problem, I can solve a database problem for a million fields right now, whatever. And that to me is binary. I can fix it. But the, the thing that we've done wrong for ourselves in the market is we expect humans to operate like machines. And that just isn't the thing. We have to continually wait for them and grow them and educate them and be patient, whatever else. And that for me personally, that's been a fundamental shift in my mindset that I've had to undertake. I'm still not good at it. I still, you know, fundamentally suck as a person, whatever else. But like there's there's a, a change that has to occur with us to realize that that's going to take time. As far as the kids and whatnot go here in the U.S., actually, all of my kids now have either access or are involved in a cybersecurity program in their school, which is great. Now, the content is a whole other issue, but it's good that they have that stuff available to them. And I think if I look around at the majority of school districts, they do have access to cybersecurity education, um, which is good because like you said, they're going to be the future CEOs, the future CFOs, the future, you know, four-star generals running stuff. So they need to know about cyber. Yeah. I mean, it, it's something that is going to, and I, we're not seeing that in the UK yet. It's, it's certainly I'm not seeing it and I don't know anyone that is seeing it. And also, I'm a little bit concerned. I mean, when I, when I was a kid, I would come home with my homework and I'd sit down with my parents and I knew my mum could help me with, say, the mathematical stuff and my dad could help me with the English. I'd be concerned that someone coming home as a kid asking their parent about cyber, if they don't work in the industry, they'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. So it, it, we have to try and educate everybody. But if we don't, at least if we educate the young, then when they become adults and when they start having their own children, at least we have that kind of rolling ball. So it, it's progress, well, right? What's occurred to me too, and this is just speaking as a, as a parent is, I think we're doing a disservice to the next generation because a lot of times we still try and, and help them too much with problems in front of them. And it takes a, it takes a different approach to sit back because actually last night, literally last night, I was working on something with my daughter and she was like, well, how do I do this? And I was like, your phone does things other than games. Google it. And she was <laughs> like, well, oh, and I was like, I'm, I said, I would love to help you, but I'm not helping you till you show me you've done the research to figure it out yourself. And then they start figuring out, OK, well, I can go learn a bit on my own because uh, we want to handhold them. We love our children. We love our kids, but they have access to more information and more opportunity than we've ever had in the history of humanity. Like you have to kind of push those little birdies out of the nest and say, fly or fall, babe. Like this is what's up. It's certainly a lot different than when I got into IT. Because when I got into IT, you you learned by doing. There was no internet. There yeah, was no. Right? Yeah, it was like, I'm going to take this computer apart. I'm going to see if I can figure out how it works. I'm going to put it back together. And it may or may not work after. There was no, everything I do now, like I had a problem the other day with something in the kitchen I Googled how to fix it. I found yeah. it. I mean, that didn't exist 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah, um, I, fixed my, I fixed my dryer. I mean, just, just looking at too. YouTube. Man, yeah. it was, if I was looking at buying a new dryer and it was like, I don't know, 800 bucks. And I'm like, huh, I'll just go to YouTube. And sure enough, uh, $10 for a belt. 
and yeah. uh, an hour of of uh, work, and uh, I had it up and running again, and it's 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 been solid for the past three months. Uh, I was going to go back and mention, you know, you, you mentioned about googling and 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 getting your kids to to do some research on their own. I I did a similar thing over the break, and my because my son was asking me, "What do you do, Dad? What do you?" Do? It's kind of hard to explain, and so I'm like, "All right, so we're going to take the next week, and uh, you're going to learn about IT security and." Every night, you're going to have to come to me with a report on what it is. So I, I had him Google uh, Zero Trust. I had him Google uh, do a report on that. And then, you know, SSE, SASE, uh, Network Security, so on and so forth. It, it was interesting. He he would, um, the first few nights, he resisted it. And he would come back with a very standard pat answer or, or something not even close. And I'd be <laughs> like, hey, go back and do it again. Go back and do it again. By the end of the week, he was uh, he was doing much better. So. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly they learn, right? Yeah. Well, it's just, I was telling them, I'm like, look, you've got this great thing called Google and Wikipedia and so on and so forth. When I was growing up, it was Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> it was a book. You had to go that was, check that it out. was like, it was like yeah, a yeah. shelf of books. And that information was outdated the day it was printed. So uh, you're, you're very lucky. So there's one more topic I want to get to before we close. And I've just looked down at the time and, and it's ticking. Yeah, I know really I'm quite sucking quickly. up all your time here. Sorry. No, no, it's it's perfect. But I mean, it's talking about education and talking about the way things change. I mean, it's only been, I think, five or six months since we did the Breaking Down Zero Trust podcast. And when you now Google Zero Trust, there's already way more resource available than there was just six months ago and that's eclipsed what there was a year ago so you can really tell that the content's now available i'm not saying all the content's great i'm not i'm not saying it it makes things necessarily that much clearer but there's definitely a lot of content out there well and you got um, you got george finney's book which you know makes the topic yep. very approachable you've got the csa doing stuff on zero trust you've got obviously chase you're doing stuff john's doing stuff with the csa john's doing his own thing as well it's being talked about a lot um, but but what, one final topic, I think, before we get onto some kind of fun questions, VPN. Now, I know how much you love VPN. Um, I've really? seen you, you post about it. I know it's you're really passionate and you want to save it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, you wrote an article on our blog recently. I think you called it Kill VPN. Um, yeah. now, now, I'm definitely sitting in that camp. John's definitely sitting in that camp. But give us a little bit of background, if you can, in the time you've got left on on why do you want to kill VPN? Why? why? Well, yeah, like the, all the workshops I do when I start talking about VPN, they say, OK, well, we're using that. And my question to them is, what other 1993 technology are you using in your business? And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you realize the VPN first was an enterprise solution in 1993. Um, and they go, well, yeah. I was like, are you using Lotus Notes or are you guys on Slack? You know? And uh, all of a sudden you start to get the ideas of, wait a minute, this is pretty outdated. And then I always love to use, I think Shodan is, is a national resource, right? I literally in my workshops, I'll go up on Shodan and I'll just start firing through VPN stuff. And I'm like, look, here's, I found 15 million VPN things that are right now available to me on the internet. And then we just run through it. And it, it I don't think we're going to get the point across till we kind of prove people that type of stuff. Um, APIs now are also becoming the next real big problem that yeah. people got to deal with, but it's it's pretty simple. You've got lots and lots of, of breach credentials. You've got lots and lots of VPNs that are misconfigured and doing weird things. And all it does is pump someone to a particular resource and remove the boundaries of control that you wanted to have in the first place. So 
why do that? It's old, it's outdated, it's kludgy, people don't like VPNs, move towards ZTNA and these solutions that are available now ZTNA side, they work with policy, they enable strategy, they've got integrations going on. It just is a better way of doing it. You're not running your business on 93 software, move up to at least, I don't know, 2017 stuff. Like it's not that crazy a concept. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't disagree with you. I mean, I worked at replacing the VPN in, in my previous company years and years ago. I mean, we migrated to an AT&T solution. It was kind of still a VPN, but it was a cloud-based. It was like the first iteration be, kind of before ZTNA came along. But in my mind, if if you're looking at zero trust, which you should be, then ZTNA is a good place to start. I mean, it, it, it's we've talked about this before zero trust is not an overnight fix it's not a product you buy off the shelf it's a strategy it's going to take time to educate people it's not just about technology it's going to involve the whole company in fact it's going to involve the whole world it's a mindset change it's a cultural change it's not going to happen overnight we can't pull out magic wands like harry potter and just go swish and it's all going to be fixed but i i definitely think Replacing your VPN is a good place to start. We live in a world where people aren't going back to the office like they did before. There is a push in the UK to get people back. People are resisting that very heavily. I mean, statistics show that people did start to go back, but now we've started to see a little bit of a rise in COVID again. We've got some other flu going around and, and people are just saying, I don't want to do that anymore. But like, I, I've worked for two years at home. I've been efficient. Don't force me in. Uh, and it's a, it is a difficult one. I mean, I work remotely. John works remotely. No doubt you do. I miss social interaction. We talked a bit about this, about getting together in Dallas. There's, there's a lot of people I would love to have social interaction with. Like you guys, there's a lot of people I wouldn't. So. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but in a hybrid world, it would be great to be able to choose, right? Right. I'd love to choose um, them. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, I think it, so, comes down, it comes down to flexibility. You know, uh, going to the office, I, I spent a lot of time just wasting uh, with conversations and so on and so forth. Holy smokes, at, at home. I'm effective. You, you need a blog written, yeah. boom, done. Uh, you need, uh, you know, another presentation, boom, done. I, there's no way I would have gotten that done at the office. No, no, no I, chance. I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, the average commute in the UK used to be something like one hour, 30 minutes, right? So yeah, that's one that hour, one hour, 30 minutes in one hour, 30 minutes back. If you're, you're in a car, you can't do anything really than other make, make calls. And you probably don't want to do that first thing in the morning or late at night. If you're on the train in the UK, you're going to be stood up. You're not going to be able to work. So people are getting three hours more work done, four hours more work done. Plus, they're getting time with their families and their, and their friends and their children and all that kind of stuff. Productivity I mean, that, didn't decline. Productivity didn't decline during the pandemic. No. It it actually went ahead. And Accenture, they did a study in 2022 that showed that the majority of, of high revenue companies, I think it was like 70% um, hybrid work. Yeah. It's here to stay. So we've literally got a matter of minutes left. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I mean, I am going to get you back for a third podcast. So prepare yourself because that's going to happen. Um, I'm going to ask you one fun question before we kind of wrap. I'll, I'll hand over to John and John can ask you one fun question. It's just, we just like to do it at the end. I think it like it gives a bit of insight into people. Um, mine's going to be about holidays. I like to travel. I've been very lucky in my career to travel through work, which gave me the passion to, to, to kind of 
traveled the world independently. I've backpacked through Cambodia. I've done the Inca Trail. I've been to Bogota. I've done those kind of things. Either So the question is going to be either where is the best place you've ever been on vacation or where would you really like to go? Or you can answer both. It's up to you. The best place I've ever been on vacation was actually this year at Christmas. I took I don't do presents for the kids and family anymore. I take them on trips every year. So I saved up for it and we all went to Belize and it was far and away one of the most amazing places I've been. The people were awesome. Food was great. You just couldn't beat it. Uh, I got chased out of the water by a shark while I was spearfishing. I mean, it was amazing. Did you go to the blue hole? I didn't because uh, I read about a bunch of the stuff around like it's it's a big blue hole in the water. Okay, yeah. cool. Meh. I mean, it looks cool in photos, but I can imagine it's just massively touristy. Yeah, I, I mean, we got to swim. Uh, I, I, I swam actually in the wild with a manatee like I couldn't oh, beat it. Cool. So. Is there anywhere else on your bucket list that you'd like to go? uh on my bucket list i'd like to go it's actually not where i'd like to go it's what i'd like to do i really really want to go tarpon fishing and that's on my bucket list uh so someday i'm gonna go tarpon fishing and uh or peacock bass down in south america and then i'll call i'll call it a a, a satisfied life nice okay john one for you yeah so you know jay and i really love food and uh i took a trip in march to austin and much to chagrin of my kids uh, I pretty much tried to hit every brisket opportunity I could. They 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 were at the end of the trip. They're like, no more meat, Dad. Yeah. Right. Um. So Dallas, best brisket where? Lockhart's over. Uh, well, Lockhart's would be the one. Rudy's would be a very close second. Uh, Pecan Lodge would be number three. Um. And you could honestly, to given the day, you can switch any one of those into different positions. Outstanding. Yeah. I mean, I've been to Dallas a few times. In fact, our, our kickoff last year was in Dallas, and we went to, I think it was Hard 8 we went to. Hard 8's a good one. Uh, and good. another one, I think it was called Big 10. Does that ring yeah. a bell? Something like that. Now, we don't do that in the UK. We don't have those barbecue joints. I mean, when we do barbecues in our gardens in the UK, we throw on some sausages, we throw on some burgers, done, that's it. I... I Dallas is incredible, but also I got to go to Austin as well, and I I thought it was good. So in Austin, you got to go to Blacks. Um, that's that's you know one of the legendary places. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, and I mean I'm from I'm born and raised and bred in Texas, and why my family goes way back. My grandmother was a Yellow Rose of Texas, but like uh, I make it a point to make a pretty mean brisket myself. But it uh, nice. maybe someday I'll I'll give you guys a piece. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean. Hopefully we can get together face to face. I mean, I'd love to have a conversation with you face to face. Maybe we can sit around the fireside and have a chat and have a chat over brisket. It'll be amazing. Um, well, if we're in Dallas, life is good. So yeah. well, we should do that. But I mean, I, I want to thank you for your time. I mean, we've talked now for 45 plus minutes. It's It's been amazing. I mean, I, I, I found myself looking down at the clock going, wow, time's running out. I would love you to come back on. Maybe what we'll do is in, in another six months or so, we'll have you back on. We'll do an update. We'll see how the ransomware kind of played out, and we see how Zero Trust is playing out. But we'll I definitely want to thank you. VPN yet. Yeah, see if you uh, can VPN. VPN. Yeah, hopefully it's dead, buried, and we've paved over the gravesite. So let's hope so. But but thank you. It was it was great. Thank you guys so much, and have a great twenty twenty three. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed this discussion, please give The Edge a like and a follow on your favorite podcast service. And also connect with the SSD Forum on LinkedIn. Get all the latest updates and news on the phenom known as the Security Service Edge.